Our Old Covenant reading for this evening is from Leviticus 19. We'll be reading verses 9 through 18 together. This is the word of the Lord. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Here ends our Old Covenant reading. Our New Covenant reading is from Paul's letter to Philemon. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Yeah. 
yourself, what is God saying to me? What does he want me to learn about him and his commandments? What is God himself requiring of me? You would treasure that You would soberly and joyfully and humbly receive it as the very word of God. Now, Philemon has a slave, Onesimus. And Onesimus runs away from him. And, and even it would seem, as we read through the letter, we'll, we'll get there in the coming weeks, but it would seem that, uh, that Onesimus has even stolen from Philemon. Onesimus has wronged Philemon. Philemon is, is hurt, he's angry, he probably feels betrayed by Onesimus. in the action 
of reconciliation. The grace of Christ working in us flows out in faith and love in the action of reconciliation. I want to break that down for us into three points this evening. The first point is this, this source of reconciliation. Second, the requirements for reconciliation. And third, the action of reconciliation. And so it does three points together in these first seven verses of Paul writes by meaning. So first we see the source of reconciliation. The source of reconciliation. Look with me here again in verses 1 through 3. Paul begins his letter this way. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy our brother, to finding in our beloved fellow worker, and Actia our sister, and Archippus our fellow soldier, and the church in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just a very little bit of where this letter, like kind of the circumstances surrounding this letter, we, we know what it has to do with Philemon and Onesimus, but uh, the letter here to Philemon is connected to the letter to the Colossians because Philemon is actually in the church at Colossae. Uh, it's very likely was sent by Paul at the same time as when he wrote to the Colossians. Uh, so Paul sends one letter to the church as a whole of Colossae, and he sends one personal letter to Philemon. And we actually know this for a couple of reasons. First, in both letters, Paul is in prison. He's in the same place. Uh, so the second thing is that Archippus is mentioned in both letters by name. So, like, Archippus is he's in the same place, right? So this, these letters are going to the same place. Uh, third, Paul sends the letter to Colossians with Tychicus and Onesimus, and it's Onesimus who's presumably bringing this letter to Philemon. Uh, and then finally, there are a lot of people who are in the closing of the letter to Colossians and in the closing of Philemon. A lot of the same people are, are mentioned as being with Paul. Right? So you remember Paul always says, so-and-so sends you greetings. Uh, he lists a number of people, and they're in both letters. So they're both there. They're with Paul at the same time as the writing of these two letters. So just a little bit of, of you know, the occasion of where this is coming from. Now, Paul starts his letter to Philemon in an interesting way. He calls himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus. It might be easy to cast that over because we're like, yeah, we know. Paul Paul's in prison. He was in prison a lot, poor guy. You know? This is one of those things. He tended to write a lot from prison. Uh, but actually, this is, this is very significant because Paul, this is the only time he starts a letter this way. Very, very frequently when he is in prison, he tells the church. But this is the only time that he actually starts by saying, I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Usually, he, he starts by calling himself a slave and an apostle. He doesn't do that. And I think there are a couple of important reasons why Paul starts his letter by in this way. First, he's emphasizing to Philemon that he is willing to do anything for the sake of Jesus Christ. And he's reminding Philemon that we have been delivered out of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And because of the great salvation that is given to us, we are bound to give ourselves to God. Paul is saying to Philemon, in essence, no sacrifice for the cause of Christ is too great for me. What about you? 
He's also emphasizing his authority. Because of what I have sacrificed for the cause of Christ, I have a right to tell you what I'm about to tell you. I'm not asking you to do something that I myself was not willing to do. Notice that Paul refers to Philemon as a fellow worker. Philemon has been faithful to the gospel. He has ministered for the cause of Christ. Maybe even he labored alongside of Paul. We're not really sure, but look at how Paul is referring to our beloved fellow worker. He is a godly man. Now, Appia and Archippus would seem to be Philemon's wife and son, and so we see Philemon leading a godly family and a godly household. He is actively involved in the life of the Colossian church, which is meeting in his house. He's actively leading his family in the worship and the service of God. Verse 3 is a, is a pretty standard reading for Paul, but like we said earlier, nothing in Paul is a throwaway phrase. He's not just randomly throwing stuff out there like formal readings to get it out of the way. He understands as he writes his letter, as he writes this letter, that his letters are the means through which God works grace in the lives of his people. Our faith in Jesus Christ encompasses what we believe and how we live. But here's the thing. If that's all we say about our faith, we're not any different than other pagan religions out there. If there are plenty of religions whose faith involves what you believe and how you live. What makes Christianity different? What makes the Christian faith different from, from other false religions? The difference is this, that it is by grace alone that we are reconciled to God. And that's what Paul is communicating in his letter when he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By even we are those who are saved by grace. What does that mean specifically for Philemon? We have been reconciled to God by grace, and because of that reconciling grace, are reconciled with our fellow believers. Right? An, an easy example of this is from the early church is the way that Jews were reconciled with Gentiles. In Christ, Jews and Gentiles were brought together as the one people of God. Once they had been separated, they wouldn't even eat together. But God says, no, you are one people. You are my children together. And, and this particular letter is a practical application of that reconciling power of the gospel. It is the gospel lived out in practice. It is the grace of God flowing out of us to our brothers and sisters. It is the gospel it is gospel living fueled by grace. Because of the grace that is shown to us in the gospel, we are bound to show grace to others, especially to our brothers and sisters who also are brought with the blood of Christ. The gospel of grace is the source of our reconciliation. In your interactions with others, especially with other believers, do you see yourself first and foremost as a sinner saved by grace? Does that make 
saying that everything was your fault, that you were dishonest, that you were greedy. And, and none of that was true. And you're hurt. And other than your reputation, it has been has been muddy. And then years later, they come back to you and they repent that what they did was wrong. They had wronged you and they had lied about you.
Philemon's faith in God leads him to love for God and love for his fellow believers. He has true faith. This is not faith in words only. If we believe in Jesus Christ as our only Savior from sin, then we must acknowledge that Christ is our Lord and Master. And he delivered us from slavery to sin, but he didn't set us free to run away on our own and do what we want. He set us free from sin, and he brought us into slavery to himself. That's how it works. We're not free. We're free from sin, and we're slaves to God. We are bound to serve him, and the service that he requires is love for others. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is where faith and love come together. When we believe by faith in what Christ has done for us, we are brought to the realization that he is our master and we are his slaves. We are bound to please him by showing love to others as Christ has loved us. Think about what that ideal would have meant by him. Right? He, he was an earthly master. And yet he is also a slave of Christ. He would have understood what was required of slaves. And as a slave of Christ, he is required to wash the feet of his fellow that's actually kind of why Paul calls out that he's thankful for Philemon's faith and love. He's saying, Philemon, you, you really do believe in Jesus Christ. You really do believe that he's your master. And you really do believe that you are his slave because you're doing what he commands you. Think about the impact of those words as Philemon reads them. Maybe the Onesimus right about them. You know, maybe Onesimus walked in and handed this letter to Philemon reading it, you know, that's in the standing there. I mean, we don't really know, but, but, but use your imagination and think of the, the context. Put yourself in five women's shoes. If Onesimus is a saint, and he is, then Philemon is bound to love him as he loves the rest of the believers. Another believer has hurt you or wronged and comes to you seeking reconciliation, seeking your forgiveness, you can't walk away. You can't say, you know, Lord, I'll wash the feet of your people, but not his Not her I can't do that. Now, the reality is that even if you do reconcile, you may not become best friends, right? You, you aren't automatically going to that person who has wronged you and harmed you. You might not even really like that. The gospel of grace demands that you love them. That you sacrifice yourself for them. As Christ has sacrificed himself for you. The requirement of reconciliation is love. Love for the undeserving because God loved you in Christ when you were undeserving. The source of reconciliation is
good understanding of the overall point that Paul is making here. And in order to do that, the first thing we need to realize is that verse 6 continues Paul's prayer for Philemon, right? Paul is thankful for Philemon's faith in God. He's thankful that Philemon's faith is flowing out in love for the saints. And because of that, verse 6 goes on to describe what Paul prays. He says this in verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, if you read that and said, okay, what is Paul talking about? Let me just say it's not It's kind of a difficult verse. Uh, and I think this is one of those verses where you think of Peter, you know, Peter said, you know that guy Paul, that's guy, but he wrote some things that are kind of hard to understand. So like, I feel a little bit like Peter as we come through this verse. Um, but, but when I think get to the, to the meaning here, I think one of the best ways to do that is actually to go to the Geneva Bible's translation. This is the, the best translation I can find that I think gets to the heart of what Paul is saying. It says this, That the fellowship of thy faith may be made fruitful, and that whatsoever good thing is in you through Christ Jesus may go known. Let me read that to you again. That the fellowship of thy faith, this is Paul's prayer, that the fellowship of thy faith may be made fruitful, and that whatsoever good thing is in you through Christ Jesus may be known. Now, the ESV here talks about uh, sharing your faith, and the Geneva says the fellowship of your faith. And that word, sharing your fellowship, is the Greek word koinonia. You're probably familiar with that word. Um, and it has to do with partnership. Participation. Uh, share the shared life of believers together. This is believers coming together and sharing life as the people of God, as the people of God who are ministering to one another and sharing the gospel of the world. That shared life which comes through our common faith in Christ is meant to be fruitful. It's meant to be active. It's not a stagnant thing. You don't just sit around in a circle and hang out. No, we are actually in doing good things for the sake of Jesus Christ. We are bound to each other as believers in Christ, and that bond of shared life is meant to propel us forward in our sanctification and obedience. Now, Paul talks about here, he talks about um, the full knowledge of every good thing. That's not head knowledge only, right? In our shared life as believers, we are active in what, is, in what we know is good in the eyes of God. We are active in believing it and doing it. And every good thing which is in us, every good thing that we do, is there because of what Christ has done in us. So if we bring this all together, we get something like this from Paul. This is my free paraphrase. I am praying for you that your shared life in all believers may be active and as you know and do every good thing which is in you because of Christ. Notice what Paul says after this in verse 7. He says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. See, Philemon is active in doing good in the shared life of God's people. Paul himself has received joy and comfort because of the love that Philemon has shown to Philemon is doing good in, among the people of God. 
people of God demands that we bear fruit in every good thing by joining your life in the lives of your brothers and sisters and together bearing fruit for the glory of Christ and for the good of His church. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And it may take a long time. But the demands of the gospel must be lived out. Jesus Christ has died for you. Child of God, 